Hey, what's up? It's me, David, host of the First Four Years podcast. Carving out your own path as a creative professional or an entrepreneur is not just a simple to follow process. It's an unfolding journey of self-discovery, learning, and development. So think of this podcast as a journal of that process, what it's really like in the early phase of starting out and building your own path as a creative today. And if you're coming with me on that journey, let's take that next step forward. Welcome to the first four years. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Today is another interview uh, with Alexandra Franzen, and she's calling in from uh, Portland, I believe. And we're going to talk some about her new book, which is specifically on what happens when things go south, what happens when uh, you really hit a hard spot and how to get out of it. And I know she spoke with a lot of different creatives about how they got out of a tough spot. Um, But before we get into that, like always, I'm very interested in sort of the early phase of starting out and uh, figuring out how you can carve your own path, how you can um, pursue your work full time or leave a job to start your own business, start your own project. So what I wanted to start with is just asking you um, what it is that you do now and then how you got started just in general. So where are you at now today? And then after that, we'll get back to the very beginning of the Alexandra Franzen story. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on the show, by the way. I'm yes, so excited. Yes, welcome. So I am a full-time self-employed writer. I have worked as a professional writer, meaning that I've been paid to do stuff with words for about 10 years. Um, Well, I've been self-employed for about eight years and I've been working in this industry for 10 years, you could say. So what my business looks like today is there's a couple of different things. I do consulting work. I do coaching work. So I coach people through the process of writing a book or launching a podcast, for example. I also do a lot of writing and editing work for companies. So a company, uh, sometimes a large company, sometimes a small company might hire me to write a newsletter, a speech, uh, an email campaign, you know, sometimes a book, any number of things. So I do client related work. I also teach classes. I teach writing workshops. And then I have my own body of work as a writer. I've written two novels. I've written a couple of nonfiction books. I write articles for my websites and many other platforms. So basically, I get to play with words and make a living doing it, which is for me, a total dream come true. Um, but as we're going to dig into on this show, it has been, it has been a journey. Yeah, <laughs> to get well, to this point today, I'm, I'm amazed by the longevity. Um, I, I have a friend actually who's a designer, and I think he's been a full time freelancer for like 12 years as a designer, and it's not easy. So like, I just want to first off say props. That longevity is incredible. Um, I have no doubt you'll have a lot of value to share with people because. Yeah, making your own way for that long, I think, is a feat in itself. So uh, congrats congrats on that. And it, it clearly sh- uh, kind of shows that you were able to take this talent and really spread it into a lot of different areas and get paid um, by doing the same craft, but in different ways, it sounds like. So to get started, like I mentioned, um, let's, let's kind of go back to the very beginning. Um, I want to hear about when you first sort of thought to yourself, maybe I could do something on my own. Maybe I could... I don't know if it was leave a job, you can kind of tell me, but where was that inkling of an idea and how, how did that then turn into um, something in the early days? Ooh, that's a great question. So when I was, I, I've always loved 
writing. That's been, I'm one of those people who, you know, even when I was eight years old, I was writing little stories and Xeroxing them with my dad's fax machine and in his office and stapling them and selling them to my classmates. So, you know, from a very early age, it was evident that writing and storytelling was something that was just kind of baked into my DNA. But like many people, I had gotten the messaging, you know, throughout my teenage years and even in college a little bit that writers don't make money. Writers need a day job. You know, writing is a is sort of a beautiful craft. But, you know, good luck making a living was was the message that I got from a lot of people, including teachers, you know, who I really respected, who would sort of say to me like, all right, well, you know, plan on a career as an English professor because you're going to need a day job if this is something you want to do. And and for a long time, I, I think I did, I believed that, you know, I kind of absorbed that message and it didn't really occur to me that I could be a writer entrepreneur and craft a career in that way. I think when that started to change in my mind was honestly probably the first time I ever got paid to write something. It was back in college. I, I got a job. We had a student magazine that came out every week and it was it had a pretty wide readership it went out to about 20,000 students and people in the community and it was like a you know a cool thing that we produced every week and you could work for them and actually make a little money not a lot i mean maybe it was like $40 an article or something like that but i still remember how it felt the very first time I remember when that that issue came out and my column was in it and I rushed over to the stack and I picked it up and I saw my name in print and then I got that little tiny check from the owner or the boss of the magazine and in that moment I was sort of like oh like this is this is a thing I can really do and and maybe it's 40 bucks today and maybe it's 400 bucks you know next year but there are people who will pay me for this disability that I have and that was hugely exciting. I mean, I think I actually like burst into tears at that moment because it was such a revelation. And then what ended up happening, my journey was after college, I worked as many people do, a lot of random odd jobs. I eventually got myself an internship at a public radio company uh, in the Midwest, a, a big public broadcasting company with you know 600 employees, cubicles, offices, the whole deal. And at the time, it was great because it sort of launched me into, you know, working in communication and media and broadcasting, and that was awesome. However, uh, it didn't take too long before I realized the cubicle life is just not going to work for me long term. Uh, I know my story is similar to so many others in that I, I actually started to feel sick. You know, I was tired and exhausted and I would burst into tears in the middle of the workday and have to, have to like go into the bathroom and hide. I mean, it really got that bad. So there did come a point where I, I faced a crossroads and I realized, you know, I can stay in this company and I can probably rise up through the ranks and 15 years from now, I can probably have my boss's job in his office and I can just do that. Or I can take a leap and see if there's some way I can put together a self-employed career with writing. Mm -hmm. And I, I really, at that point, I had no idea what that would look like exactly. I didn't have like a five-year business plan. I just figured, I, I, it was almost like I had to at least try to make it work as a self-employed writer because I was kind of falling apart. 
Yeah. And so I, I think that's really, um, I think there's two points there that are, that are something I hear a lot, which is that excitement of the first time that you get paid doing something that you actually enjoy doing because it yeah. doesn't feel like it's like real. And you're like, wait, I liked doing that, but somebody paid me. And I yeah. think that's, that's almost like something to get past in a good way of like, no, actually you can do work sometimes that you, you really enjoy and you get paid for. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a great moment for anybody who's kind of on this path that we all have that in our past. Um, the second thing I think you pointed out that is, is typical is this kind of crossroads. But what I want to do is back up for a second, because I think it sounds like to me, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, that when you started getting paid for the newspaper, you probably started having these ideas of like, like, I feel like they almost go off the rails of like, I'm going to be a full-time writer today and I'm going to make tons of money. And like, yeah. um, you, you start kind of fantasizing of like, if this feels this good now in a year, I'm going to be a famous novelist and like you kind of accelerate, but it sounds like maybe once again, even though you knew you wanted to do your own thing, you sort of got pulled back into that, that typical path that the teachers had been telling you to take, which was taking that job. Do you think that um, for you, you actually wanted to go out on your own at that point, um, but you didn't listen to yourself and that's why you took that job? Or do you think that it really felt like the right next step to take that? Um, and I'm obviously it's worked out great either way, but I'm curious if that excitement of that first dollar sort of waned and you're like, no, I should get a job now. Do you think that's the case? Yeah. You know, I would say it really was for me a little of both. Mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, yes, I think from, from the earliest I can remember, there's been this drive inside of me to be independent, to be self-employed, to be an artist, to do my own thing. But then I am also a very in, in many ways, a very practical and kind of risk averse person in that I like to have a consistent income and I, I, I need and crave that. So there were sort of those two parts of me that were dueling and still are to yeah, this day. Sure. And I remember right after college when I was sort of working odd jobs and doing lots of random freelance writing projects, um, it was tough. You know, I I was very young. I didn't have a big portfolio of work. I was able to get a few writing gigs here and there, but it was all over the place. It wasn't necessarily even that fun. I mean, I remember one gig was like, I had to transcribe this long, incredibly tedious conversation between a doctor and a journalist about like the new catheters that were available and then like ghost write an article for a magazine about catheters. And it was just like, you know, it was kind of grunt work and, and the pay was very little and the checks didn't always come on time and it was stressful. Yeah. Um, so so I was just going to say, so it sounds like there, there was a risk, actually, if you had just gone directly in um, without taking that job, which is you could totally burn out and then think to yourself, this will never work. And then you're tr then you're kind of set on that path forever. Maybe that's maybe that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the final straw was there was a, a freelance gig that I got and it was it was a big project. It was a local kind of independent newspaper and they had me go out in the community and interview all these people and write all these pieces and they all got published and they promised to pay me. And then when it was time to pay me, they, the owner of the magazine basically emailed me and said, we're, we're going under, we're closing, we don't have any money so sorry, we can send you uh, as, as compensation a couple of ski lift passes, uh, but sorry, the skis are not included, but your passes are in the mail. And 
I remember getting that email and it, it was like so sad. It was almost funny. <laughs> I was like, well, uh, I don't ski first of all. And secondly, yeah. like I can't, I can't pay my rent with ski lift passes. So it was after that moment that I think my brain flipped and I went, okay, you know, maybe I will be able to be a self-employed writer at some point, but right now, like, I need a job and I, I need a job that hopefully will somehow tie into my passions. And so actually, you know, working in public broadcasting was in many ways a perfect fit. It was a great first step yeah. uh, to get me on a solid path and, and to just kind of build some momentum in my yeah. career. Totally. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing I, I try to just say a lot is that like running a business full time isn't for everybody. What I think my opinion on this is sort of we all have an opportunity to at least create a project that brings us joy, even if it doesn't bring in an income. So I think it's definitely okay to, to take that job when you need it to find a consistent income, keep the job forever and have something on the side. Um, but I just think we all kind of have this opportunity to make something that creates an impact, makes our lives better. If we can get paid doing that, that's awesome. If not, that's okay too. Um, but bringing it back to this crossroads. So what was kind of the mental math or how did you, um, you're at this crossroads, you're starting to feel like you're getting sick just from doing this work, which I, I think is normal. I think, well, it's, it's not something that's accepted as normal, but like often that's a good sign. Like when your body's just like, don't keep doing this. Um, yeah. but what was the mental math or like, what was the, the strategy? Did you have somebody you could call? Like how did that decision, um, come about, uh, to where you made the transition? Yeah. Well, there were, it, it was a long time coming. You know, I, I worked in the public broadcasting world for a couple of years. I would say each year I, I got a, a couple of promotions, a couple of new jobs. I had, you know, a little more money, a little more responsibility each year, and also just increasingly unhappy as the years went on. I also felt uh, extreme guilt that I felt unhappy because I felt like I should be so grateful to have this work. I know so many people who are out of work. It was also around this time was when the Great Recession was happening. So there were layoffs happening within the company, you know, colleagues who had mortgages and kids and families and, you know, were losing their jobs. And, and so I felt like, basically, I just told myself for a long time, like, shut up, keep your head down, be grateful. You know, you're, you're lucky to have this work working for a wonderful company. What are you complaining about? So I kind of suppressed a lot of the, the unhappiness I was feeling out of guilt. Um, but then, yes, there, there did come uh, sort of an eruption point where I just realized I just can't, I can't do this anymore. And I think the turning point, the pivotal moment was when I was invited to apply for another promotion, another kind of new position in a different department. It would have been double my current salary. It would have been like a big step up in terms of, you know, prestige and responsibility and whatever. And they encouraged me to apply. And I did. And I think deep, deep inside, I knew even if I get this job, this isn't the answer. You know, this isn't what's going to make me happy, even if there is more money attached to it. But then another part of me was like, well, but maybe it would be better. Like, you know, let's give it a shot. Um, so I applied. I got through a couple rounds of interviews and then the the guy who would have been my my new manager, Jeff, who is I'm still in touch with to this day, uh, Jeff took me out for coffee, and he told me, "I'm so sorry, you know, we're you're not getting the job." And I started crying. <laughs> it was like the most embarrassing, unprofessional, awful moment. But I, it was like I could not keep the emotion 
bottled up any longer. And we were like sitting together at the Caribou Coffee in downtown St. Paul, Minnesota. And I was just crying like in front of one of my colleagues. Well, and he, <laughs> he say, asked me, this is a yeah, question. Ahead. Were you crying? <laughs> and I, well, it's two things. Thank you for sharing about the guilt. And thank you for sharing about that because <laughs> this, these are both situations we've all been in ourselves. I think we all have the like, I cried in a weird place that was public and other people's on me. But um, so I just want to interrupt for a second. I, I was going to ask, maybe you're getting here. Why were you crying? Were you crying because you didn't get the job or were you crying because now you have to go do that thing that you felt deep down you wanted to do? Right. Well, that's, that's exactly what I was, what I was getting mm-hmm. to because Jeff, you know, was staring at me sobbing and being the super cool, awesome guy that he is, he just very calmly says, are you okay? You know, what's making you cry right now? And the answer was twofold. It was number one, you know, yes, I was, you know, a little, my ego was a little bruised that I didn't get the job, but that wasn't really why I was so upset. I was crying partly because I think on some level I was relieved that he didn't offer me the job because I I knew I probably would have taken it and deep down, that wasn't really the right path. But also because I realized, whoa, you know, this is it. Now I have to really make a choice about what I'm doing with my career. And it feels scary. And by the end of that conversation with Jeff at the coffee shop, I had told him, and he was the first person I'd ever confessed this to, I said, I, I need to leave. And I'm going to hand in my notice. And I'm going to do it this week. And this is it. You know, a, a new chapter is beginning. And and it was, yeah, it was really because he didn't offer me that job that all of that went into motion. And, and four months later, I walked out of that cubicle for the last time and began the next chapter. Awesome. Well, well, kudos. Uh, I've heard it said this way. Um, it's you, you had to actually sort of change your own story or your own way of looking at yourself. Like your identity changed in that moment almost because it's like now you're no longer the person who works at that company, now you're this other person. And there's kind of that like step back and uncertainty and maybe sadness of that change that you're about to go through. So um, you you said you had maybe a few months still at the company. Like how are you gathering uh, the tools or yourself in a way that you can really make a go at doing um, work for working for yourself essentially? Yeah, well, so after that, sobbing conversation, I I went back to my my current boss, who I I was fortunate that we had a good relationship. You know, he really liked me and he, I think he wanted the best for me, whatever that meant. So I sat down with him and I told him, I want to leave my position. I want to leave this company. Um, I I told him very honestly, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do next. I'm going to try to be self-employed. And I, I said to him, if it works for you, I would love a four month transition period. So rather than like, here's my two weeks notice, bye. I said, you know, can we take four months? Um, I'll train in my replacement. We'll kind of gradually ramp down my hours. So I go from 40 to 30 to 20 to 10, you know, as the, as the months roll along. And, you know, we'll just have a little window before I'm officially out of here. And he said, great, let's do it. And we, we made an agreement and it, it actually ended up working out well for both of us. And once I walked out of that meeting, it was another sort of like, whoa, okay, here we go for real moment. I had a date, April 1st, 2010, you know, (laughs) on the calendar. And that was like, goodbye, you know, final paycheck, it's over. And 
I am looking back, I'm so grateful that for whatever reason, dumb luck or intuition or whatever, I asked for that four month window because yeah. in, in that time, it was, it was enough time to sort of get my ducks in a row, but it wasn't so much time that I like lost sight of the goal. So in that time, I, I got a roommate, I sold furniture, I saved up as much money as I possibly could. I put my first WordPress website together. I stayed up literally all night teaching <laughs> myself HTML code very badly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I emailed everyone I knew, friends, family, colleagues, classmates, to tell them about this new chapter and to let them know I'm available for yeah. writing projects, whatever you got, send it at me. Um, you know, I, I hustled basically to to put as many pieces into place as I possibly could to, you know, to at least know, okay, when I leave my job, I have a little bit of savings, I can survive for a little while, and I have at least a couple of projects lined up so I don't feel like I'm just launching into nothing. Yeah. And so, and so that's that's what I did. So two two awesome points there. The first thing is you asked for what you needed with your boss. You said you know, instead of just like accepting whatever the, the typical uh, thing is with a job, whether it's two weeks, you asked for what you needed and you had a good enough relationship that they accepted that and that really helped you um, make that transition. I also think it's interesting to think about even if you don't have um, that situation with a boss, we can all set our own timeline. We can all put a date in the calendar that is the line in the sand and maybe you still only take two weeks uh, because that's the way it needs to work with your office, but you still set up your own three to four month window. Um, mm -hmm. And I like that idea of like, not so long that you lose sight, but um, it's gonna be on the calendar. So you know, you have to make that transition. So I just wanna highlight uh, point one, that tactical advice of setting that kind of transition period and asking for a longer one, I think is brilliant. Um, and clearly it served you well. The second thing I just wanna bring up and then I'll let you continue is, you notified everybody you knew about the transition. And I think a lot of people, like that is the best first step um, because a lot of people don't even know that you have a skill to offer, um, but they would hire you if they knew that. And right. I think a lot of people get scared to do that um, because they feel like maybe they're selling to their friends or they're just scared to announce that they're doing something different. Um, so just props for that too. I don't know if you have any thoughts about the confidence to tell your friends. Maybe you see this with clients and stuff like that, but I feel like that's a hang up for people. For sure. Yeah. So my, what I did literally was I, I took my laptop, I went to my favorite coffee shop, I parked myself, you know, on a comfy chair, ordered a bunch of espresso, got super high basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and just one by one by one by one, I, I literally just went through like my Gmail contact list and I wrote a personal email to each and every person. And, and most of them said, you know, pretty much the same thing. But my attitude was, you know, look, when you're, when you're getting married, when you're buying a house, when you're moving, when you have a baby, when you get a new puppy, like when there's a milestone in your life, you want to post a note on social media or email your friends and say, Hey, like this big thing happened. Yay. And you want to let them know. So it was with, that was kind of the spirit that I tried to bring to these emails. It wasn't, Hey guys, I'm self-employed. I really need work. If you have anything, please, please help me. It was more, the message was more like, Hey, exciting news. I've stepped away from my job. I'm a freelance writer now full time. Yeah. I'm so excited. Um, I'm available for these types of projects. And I made a little bullet point list of like, you know, some things that I knew I could do. And then I just closed each email by saying something to the effect of, 
you know, if you know anyone who's looking for someone like me, if you're looking for someone like me, let me know. I'm here. I'm available. I'm ready to get down to get down to work. And yeah. uh, so it was just really it was upbeat. It was more of hooray. I'm so excited about this new chapter rather than, oh, my God, please help me. And I think people responded accordingly. Mm -hmm. um, and after sending out, you know, 40, 50, 60 of those emails, um, I have to say I was so I was really moved because almost everyone responded, even people that I'd fallen out of touch with. And almost everyone said, you know, congratulations. And this is so cool. And I'm so proud of you. Or, wow, I wish I could do something like that. And and not everyone. But, you know, a, a fair amount, maybe five, six, seven, maybe 10 people said, hey, I think I've got something for you. Or there's someone you should meet who works at this marketing agency. Or, hey, can you rewrite my resume? You know, I'll pay you a hundred bucks or whatever. Like there was a, a little bit of a trickle of, of work that came my way. And so that helped to just get the ball rolling. Yeah, and at you, that early you stage. need a few clients in the beginning. I mean, if you find one larger client that can really secure things for you. So uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's great advice. Did you at that time... Um, have a North Star in terms of someone else who was out there in the market um, doing the type of work you wanted to be doing? Did you reach out to somebody who was like that? Um, did you sort of hire help in terms of like a course or education? Um, or did you just kind of like brave it out on your own at first? Um, yeah, I'm just curious if there was somebody when you were right after that spot, some clients trickle in, like was there like, oh, if only I could be like that writer online, like that's where I'm trying to head? Um, or was it more you felt like you were just learning as you went? It was a little of both. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. I would say even to this day, I don't know that there's any writer who I look to as like, that's where I'm going. I, I tend to look outside of my industry for oh, inspiration. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Industries? I, I'm just curious. So I, I definitely, I just, because of who I am, for whatever reason, I always gravitate towards the performing arts and towards the world of psychology, personal growth, those types of things. So I, you know, I love Tony Robbins. I think he's amazing. And I, I love the brand that he's built. But I also gravitate towards like very obscure, strange people that awesome. most people never heard of. Like, for example, um, I love David Blaine, the magician. I cool. think he's incredible. He's one of my all-time heroes. I love this bodybuilder named Kai Green, who is a bodybuilder, painter, artist. He's like so eccentric and he's so inspiring and he, he's just like, he's like no one else. You know, there's no one like him in his industry. So I, I tend to take inspiration from people who are not doing exactly what I do. That being said, though, um, in those early days and years, especially with being a self-employed writer, I I don't even remember how this rabbit hole began. I think I was literally Googling something like, help, I hate my job, what should I do, or something like that. <laughs> and somehow I found my way towards the woman who later became my very first career coach, and her name is Michelle Ward. And she uh, she had actually just started her business at the time, although I didn't know that. I thought she'd been around forever. Um, but she opened my eyes to this idea that, you know, you're not just a freelance writer. You're a writer entrepreneur. So you can create your own classes. You can create your own products. You can you know, you can move beyond just writing a magazine to make 40 bucks or whatever. There's many other possibilities in terms of revenue streams and that was a huge like brain exploding realization for me. So there were definitely some coaches, some mentors that I that I met or just kind of stumbled across in those early days that 
opened my mind to possibilities of different ways I could use my skills that had just never occurred to me before. Yeah, and, and I'd argue you sort of were, it sounds like you were learning how to define your own brand as a writer. And the reason you pulled in these different inspirations, um, and I'll give a shout out for your, one of your courses I know has like a dance break and there's a, there's a professional choreographed like dancer. Um, and so what, what I'd also kind of argue is like, it's really important to have inspirations outside of your own industry because if you're only looking at the people in your industry, then your brand starts to feel very much the same as everyone else. And what you did was you sort of explored outside, what do I like, what things are I'm in- am I interested in, and you started pulling them in. And that's actually, my guess, is why other people like your work. They like working with you because you're not just a writer who does this, you're you're textured, you've got these other interests. Um, so I think that's a good point for other people too, is just like, that's an asset um, that you can build if you can infuse um, interests into your own brand. And it just makes life more fun, right? Yeah, when yeah. you can geek out about all your passions and strange obsessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, also I think hiring the coach was probably a very big step for you. Um, how did you know it was time for you to hire a coach? Mm, so the, the timeline was, I think I started Googling, I hate my job, what should I do? Then I didn't get that promotion. Then I started crying. Then I asked my boss for the four-month window. And I think it was just a few days after I had that conversation with my boss that I thought to myself, you know, I think I need some help. You know, I, I don't know what I don't know. And I, I was looking for... I mean, honestly, I didn't even really know what a career coach was at that point. But somehow through the tunnels of the Internet, I found my way to this woman, Michelle Ward, who her website is, uh, I think, the When I Grow Up Coach or When I Grow Up, something like that. And I I just resonated with her website because she described herself as a multi-passionate creative person. She had been a classically trained singer. She had done, you know, off-Broadway work. She'd done a lot of creative things. And she seemed to have a knack for working with people like me who have a lot of different, you know, skills and abilities and want to do something creative and be self-employed but need help kind of stitching the pieces together. So I just had a gut feeling that she could guide me or at least you know, show me some options I hadn't considered before. And uh, it turned out to be an amazing relationship. We're still friends to this day, and I, I can't recommend her highly enough. But but more than that, you know, there are points in our journey where we need a guide, you know, who's maybe three steps or 10 steps ahead to just say, hey, you know, here's some stuff you could do. Have you ever considered X, Y, and Z? That was hugely helpful for me. Yeah, yeah, me as well. Um, I, my life has been changed, I think, at least twice now by coaches that I've hired. So I totally agree. Yeah. I think it's very underrated. Um, I think if you can find the right person, it really expands your abilities and the opportunities you see, which is what you mentioned. Um, so I definitely want to get to your book and I want to get to some stories about times where things went wrong and then you kind of get your way out of there. Before we get to that, I just want to touch on one last thing, which is I want to hear some about um, after you're a few years in to the freelance thing and the clients are flowing. Um, was there any kind of other uh, major growth points you had to get um, get beyond, I suppose, that weren't like a crisis, but it was like, hey, I grew to this level, but now I need to like, I wanna double my business. How am I gonna do that? Like, mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you have one or two learnings from actually being in the flow of the client work um, that have kind of leveled you up over the past few years. 
Yeah, there have been so many and it, it continues to this day. I mean, every year there's there's some new thing I want to try and, and we come up against these sometimes mental blocks yeah. <laughs> over and over. But I would say one of the biggest for me was a couple of years after I had you know gone freelance and I was self-employed and I was writing and as you put it, you know, the clients were starting to flow in in a comfortable way. I wasn't stressing so much about finding clients. It was kind of just working. The next hurdle for me was people little by little started asking me if I ever taught classes or if I taught workshops or would you be a guest teacher at my event and this and that. And when I started to get this trickle of interest about teaching, my my gut reaction was, yes, I want to do it. And then quickly after that was, what are you thinking? Like, you're not an expert. You're not a, at that time, you know, I wasn't a published author yet. I, there was a whole swarm of voices in my head that just said, you know, you have no experience doing something like this. So for a while, I kind of kept that at bay and I was nervous to try. And, and then I started just taking, I mean, it's so cliche, but really taking just the tiniest little baby steps in that direction that felt like low risk. So I started teaching free classes at local community centers and writing centers, and I would provide donuts and coffee. And I figured if it's free and there's donuts, then no one can be mad at me if I suck at teaching yeah. <laughs> because, because of, you know, I'm not taking anything from them. And so I, I started to, to just kind of build up my confidence little by little by little by doing some free classes. And, and then about a year after that, when a request came and they wanted to actually pay me and, you know, fly me somewhere to teach at an event, I was still scared, but I felt like, okay, you know, I, I think I can make this leap. And, and there's still, you know, there was, there was anxiety that, well, I know I'm really good at writing, but can I take that skill and translate it into teaching? It is a bit of a different thing. Um, in the end, I kind of discovered that I was really overthinking it and that I was actually more qualified than maybe I realized. And I, I think that's true for so many people. It also, it dawned on me later, you know, to be a, an, an effective teacher, you don't actually have to be the world's foremost expert on that topic. You just have to know a couple of things that might be somewhat helpful to a beginner. Mm -hmm. And so even if you can just point out, you know, five simple ways to set a clear intention before you start writing so that your writing flows more easily, that might be revelatory for someone who's never taken a writing class before. So I learned how to kind of simplify and and ease the pressure on myself. And, and that really helped me to step into some new projects and, and new revenue streams yeah. in my business. No, I think that's such a great overview. And what, what you did is you started by being generous. And I think if you don't know where to start and you're scared um, about like making that next step up, start, start by just being as generous as possible because then it lets you start to feel like, okay, wait, I am actually um, giving a lot and maybe eventually I can start charging for it. Um, and I think the second thing is to level up, you always have to do something that you don't feel like you're qualified for. Like it's just almost yeah. the definition of making the next step is doing it when you don't feel qualified. And so, um, yeah, I think that was just a great overview of both of those steps where you started by like, I'm going to give you coffee and donuts and I'm going to teach you and it's me free. Um, you just start with generosity and then you have to make that step in. Um, even if it still feels like you're not qualified, you're never, you'll never feel qualified to make a step 
up, you know, it's just, otherwise, right. you're, not, otherwise you're not making a step up. So, right. You're just making a step laterally yeah, or yeah. Well, forward with, or whatever with what but... you're comfortable with. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, that is an, a great, great uh, overview there. I want to transition to talking about your book um, some, and I know there's a bunch of stories that you've collected as well. Can you give me a, um, just the, the outline of your book or how you came up with the idea? And then after you kind of pitch that, we can dig into some of the stories. Yeah, definitely. So this book, my new book is called You're Going to Survive. And the inspiration for the book was, uh, it was from a very personal place. I, a couple of years ago, along with my boyfriend, Brandon, who's a chef, he decided he wanted to open his own restaurant. And me being the sort of naive slash excitable person that I am, I said, I'll help you. You know, how hard could it be <laughs> to start a restaurant? And uh, we began this journey together and it was, I mean, anyone who's worked in the restaurant industry, you know that it is, it is a whole other world. It's incredibly physically tiring, emotionally tiring. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough road. And we got this restaurant open. It was, you know, customers were starting to trickle in. We were working so hard. And then we got our very first really, really negative Yelp review. And I remember reading that review and I just felt devastated, like really yeah. devastated. Um, I, as much as I try to, you know, let things roll off and not take things personally, it just really sucked. You know, we'd been working so hard and then there was this not just negative, but like nasty review. And after that experience, a couple things happened. Um, one was that I realized just personally as a human being, um, I need some more tools in my toolkit to deal with this kind of thing because mm -hmm. this is really affecting me and it's it's like derailing my, my focus. So I need to get better at dealing with criticism, rejection, discouragement, et cetera. And then the other thing was I, I just felt kind of a an urge to reach out to people that I know, to, to friends and family and colleagues, especially other entrepreneurs or people doing, you know, kind of work that their heart is really in. And mm -hmm. I, and I wanted to ask them, can you tell me a story about a time when you went through something really tough and how did you get through it? What are the tools that you used and what did you learn? And it began as just kind of a, some, you know, casual conversations. And then it sort of turned into like an interview project. And then, before I knew it, I, I sort of realized, like, I think this is a book that I'm creating. I think this needs to be a book because I'm sure there are plenty of other people out there who would love to hear these stories and advice, too. So mm -hmm. that was how the book all came around. And it went through a couple different kind of iterations and configurations. And I, I released it as an ebook initially. And then I got a book deal. And then we kind of reshaped it and expanded it. And, uh, and now it's coming out. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so great. And so I like that you really were just documenting. Like it sounds to me like you had an experience and you were sort of still thinking about it and maybe documenting like, hmm, this feels really terrible right now. Like what is my <laughs> brain doing about this? Like what tools do I yeah. have? And then like, okay, well, let me see what other people have. And it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's like a journalism type thing, but it's, I feel like you can create a lot of value for other people by just documenting your own experiences, the experiences of other people, and then sharing it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
And okay, so uh, you you collect all these interviews. Now I have to ask about some of the patterns, some of the tools. Um, what are you starting to realize either about yourself or about other people for how they get through um, difficult experiences? And if you, you don't have to name people or anything, um, that probably is in the books, but like if you want to give some examples of some hard times that people um, got over as well with the tools, that might be helpful. Yeah, definitely. Well, I can name names because they all willingly yeah. okay, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. Wow. I mean, basically, I all of these people I interviewed said, yes, let me tell you about the worst thing that ever happened. And please put my <laughs> name in the book, which is so generous of them <laughs> to share. Um, there were definitely, you know, every single story that people told me was a little bit different. Uh, you know, it was a wide range of industries and businesses and professions and experience levels, you know, everything from someone who was maybe just starting out or a couple of years in all the way to, you know, a, a theater producer who's been working in performing arts for 40 years. So it was it was a wide range. But there there definitely were some themes that seemed to come up again and again. Um, one of the themes actually comes from uh, our mutual buddy, Paul Jarvis, who I interviewed for the book. And for Paul, you know, when he when something discouraging happens in his career, he, like, you know, he told me a story, for example, about a, just a horribly mean unsubscribe message that he got for someone who hated his newsletter and just wanted to let Paul know, you know, exactly how much he hated it. Um, so Paul's strategy is when he when something discouraging like that happens he has a one day policy where he says you know for one day i'm allowed to feel annoyed and feel sad and feel hurt and complain to my wife and you know kind of moan and vent but after that day is over it is it is over you know i wash this from my mind i wash my hands of it i'm moving on i'm not allowing myself to even put any more energy towards whatever happened. He gives himself like a cutoff period. And I think that's really wise. And another thing that Paul mentioned, which several people in the book echoed in their own way was, you know, he's a busy guy. He's got, he's got things to write. He's got podcasts to record. He's got classes to run. He doesn't actually have or, or allow himself a lot of time to dwell on just one you know, discouraging incident. He just moves on because he's got things to do. Mm -hmm. And that was something that a lot of people echoed is like, I don't have time to dwell was basically what they said. And I think there's actually a lot of wisdom in that because, you know, when you get some kind of setback or discouragement and you just wallow in it for months, you're, it's like you're, you're, a la you're creating that for yourself. You know, it's, it's a choice to move beyond it and it's a choice that we have to make. So that was something that I, I've been trying to follow myself a lot more in the, the months since the book was finished. Yeah. Yeah. It actually r reminds me a little bit of what you said earlier, which is like you set a date in the calendar when you're gonna make a transition. Yeah. It's like, Oh, we can actually, uh, in our own minds, like make a commitment to not thinking about this after a day or starting something in four months. Um, so I think it's like almost kind of similar to that idea. What, um, what was another pattern or strategy that was pulled out from these different interviews that maybe you've uh, implemented yourself? Yeah. You know, another strategy or pattern that came up a lot is when something happens that feels like a setback, like, you know, you, you don't book the client that you were hoping you would book, or you don't get the job that you wanted and your best friend gets it instead, which actually happened for two people in the book that I interviewed. Mm -hmm. um, when something happens that just feels like, ugh, um, you know, in that moment, it's so easy to feel discouraged and lost and depressed and, and even want to quit whatever project you're working on because the blow just feels so hard. But 
something that several people in the book mentioned to me is we have to remember that we don't know what the future may hold. And what feels like a setback right now might actually be such a huge blessing. And I mean, two really specific examples of that were my brother, who I interviewed for the book, when he was right out of college, uh, where he trained as a musician, he auditioned for his dream job, touring the world with a, a huge, well-known performing artist. He didn't get the job. His best friend got it. He was totally humiliated, sad, you know, really, really bummed out because he didn't get to go on that global tour because he was, you know, quote unquote, stuck at home instead of off on this big adventure, he ended up starting his own band and starting composing his own music. That band has gone on to be nominated for Grammy Awards and they wow. have toured the world. So when he told me the story, he was reflecting on how, you know, in a way, not getting chosen for that tour way back in the day was the fuel that allowed him to then create his own body of work. It was a huge blessing, even though he didn't see it that way at the time. And, and that's just something that it's, it's one of those pieces of wisdom that I think comes with age and with time, but we need to remember that because it's so easy to forget. Yeah. And I think it's, it's probably, and this is the way I kind of uh, think about it myself is that there's always so many opportunities going by all the time. Every day there's opportunities yeah. around us. Um, but when we get stuck in wallowing it, we, we see, the opportunity that just passed as the only train that is going to yes. go past us, you know? Um, and yeah. it's like, Oh no, no, there's five trains today. There's five trains tomorrow. He doesn't take the tour globally, but then there's the next band, which he hopped on right away. So um, I guess that's the way I kind of see it myself. Uh, my last question about these interviews is how many people did what you did, which is share with other people. How, how many people, yeah. was that common or, because I'm just wondering if this discussion is occurring, because um, I know obviously you captured this discussion that I don't think happens that much to put it in the book and that's why it's so valuable to people, but was that a strategy that a lot of people employed or... Um, yeah, there were That's definitely cool. a few a few people who shared with me, you know, for example, there was one woman who told me a story about uh, a publicity scandal, basically, where someone was online posting untrue, disparaging comments mm. about her and her After that happened, her healing strategy was basically just to turn off her laptop, log out, step away from everything that was going on and just be with her family and her loved ones and her husband and her dogs and just be with people that she could really be with and cry and be comforted with. And my, uh, my mom actually shared a similar strategy where after she got a horrible review posted in the New York Times, or not New York Times, the Los Angeles Times about her singing voice, she basically just went to my dad, you know, she went to her partner for support and comfort and shared how she was feeling. So absolutely. I think when, when we're going through rough stuff, I mean, isolating yourself is, is usually not a good idea. We have to find at least one person that we can be with for comfort. Mm -hmm. I think that's really crucial. Especially those that don't see you for that thing at all. Like I yeah. think the people you're mentioning is like, Oh yeah, they don't really care that much if your what your voice sounds like. They like you because they like you, and so yeah. um, I think that maybe is part of it as well as when you're with those people that it, it's it's almost funny where they like could care less or not about your your thing, and you're like, no, but I worked yeah. so hard on this, and it's isn't it so cool? And they're like, yeah, I guess so. But those are the people you can go to um, when you're also having hard times. I think. Yeah, for sure. So 
I want to um, I want to kind of wrap up by asking a question. I'm going to make an assumption here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I I get the sense, and this is actually interesting. So we we just met like an hour ago, uh, which is fun. Aside from uh, sending emails back and forth, but I get the sense that you're really good at being transparent with people. You're really good at taking your own um, life experiences and just being very open about sharing them. Um, and I guess that's like the, the vibe I suppose I get, how did you get good at that? Is that something that you've always just been really like naturally able to channel your feelings and, um, your experiences into how you interact with people? Um, cause I'm just, yeah, I, I guess I'm amazed in our interaction cause it feels like something that you naturally do very well. So, um, you can take that any direction you want to. I know it's not like a very specific question, but yeah, while, while no, I have I, you here and I'm picking that up, I just want to, um, yeah, get a sense of that. So how, how does, how does somebody channel their own experiences in an open way when they're talking with other people, when they're creating their work? So I, I think that, yeah, I love to share personal stories in the hopes that if I share something I've been through, you know, I will help someone to feel less alone or to provide some advice that might help them. I think that's always something that I've just done naturally. And, and honestly, I think it is very much because of my upbringing. I, I was raised by uh, a mom and a dad who were constantly sharing stories about them, about their parents, about our ancestors. I mean, I grew up with stories about Grandpa Selig and Grandpa Eric and how he came to America with $20 and built his empire and this and that. I mean, not his empire. I mean, he ran a, yeah. an avocado farm, but yeah, yeah. you know that, right. that kind of thing. So I, I very much grew up in an environment of if you if you want to inspire someone to do something, tell them a story, right? And that's something that has just been kind of baked into me through the years. And and I think that you know when I'm looking for inspiration or comfort or guidance, I want to hear a story. You know, I think we all do as human beings. We want to hear someone else who's been through that or someone else who's walked that path or what, how they felt. You know, when everything fell apart. I think. I mean, this sounds kind of like lofty and airy fairy, but I think this, those kinds of stories are what are what really help us as human mm-hmm. beings to feel stronger and to keep going. So, in terms of ad- advice on how to do that, um, a really simple framework that I use when I'm kind of putting a story together in my mind that maybe I'm writing or sharing is I, I think about it in three parts. It goes: this is what happened. This is what I learned. And this is what I urge you, as in the audience, to do. So this is what happened. That's just, you know, what happened. What happened to you? You went to the park one day, a dog pooped on your shoe, you know, whatever the the narrative is. Mm -hmm. This is what I learned. That's, you know, what you learned, what you realized, the takeaway, the message, whatever the moral of the story is, whatever you got from that experience. And then this is what I urge you to do. You don't have to literally say to your audience, and this is what I urge you to do, but you want to convey some kind of call to action, right? You want to leave them with something to think about, something to try, something to say to themselves, um, something that they can that they can do, you know, an action step. So if you you can even write those three phrases down on a piece of paper and kind of take some notes and start to flesh out the story and if you tell a story in that way, then it's not just an entertaining story, but it's a story with a message and a story with an action step baked into it. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think having a framework like that just really helps as a shorthand for always reminding yourself, whether you're speaking or writing. Um, I'm sure that that is like one of those examples of a small thing that you could teach somebody that might make a massive shift. So yeah. um, 
so I want, I'm hoping you can pitch some of the things that uh, people can check out about uh, your work, your courses. Um, and then after that, I'm curious about sort of what's next. So yeah, where can people find you? Uh, what can they sign up for? What do you have to offer right now? Yeah, so you can go to my website. It's alexandrafranzen.com. Not a very creative website name. It's just my name. <laughs> and I have a couple of books for sale, including my new book, You're Going to Survive. You can also get that book on Amazon, IndieBound, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, all the usual places. And it will be in bookstores uh, in December very 2017. Exciting. Yeah. So that's, that's the main thing that I'm excited about and talking about right now. Um, I also do have some other stuff. I have an online class, a writing class that people can join. I do writing retreats in Hawaii a couple times yeah, a year. I was checking that is, out. It looked awesome. Yeah. It's super fun. We do a combination of writing and yoga and fitness. So every day we move and we sweat and we kind of get our bodies moving. And then there's time to write and create and that's super fun. I mean, Hawaii is always a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then what else do I have going on? Just on my website, there's, there's tons of articles, there's free resources, there's videos, you know, all kinds of jazz. So you can check it out and help yourself. Cool. And, and what's next for you? Like, what are you, and that could just be like something that's caught your eye. That's really interesting. I feel like this is an unfair question because you're about to launch a book. So like, I'm sure everything has been so tunnel vision, but do you have any sense of kind of what has been interesting, exciting, what's coming up, something brewing in the background? Yeah, there, there is some stuff brewing for sure. Um, I have a, a new novel that I want to write. It'll be my third novel, and that feels like a top priority for next year. It's going to be set in Hawaii, and Ooh. it's going to have some supernatural and mythic elements to it, which will be a totally new genre for me. So I'm, I'm kind of nervous and excited to, to start that project. And I also, in terms of my work with, with clients and classes and consulting and the, the writing work that I do, um, you know, I, to put it really simply, I want to help people finish what they've started. So I, I want to shift my work a little bit so that I'm really helping people cross the finish line with their projects and like hold the completed book in their hands or see season one of their podcast on iTunes and, and cross that finish line because I nothing makes me happier than that moment. And it is, you know, I've seen a lot of people hire me over the years and they kind of come in and out of, of my life and maybe they finish their project, maybe they don't, but I want to make sure they finish. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be putting together some offerings that are really around this idea of let's get over that final finish line together. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I'll, I'll be announcing some stuff soon-ish awesome. and also next year. That's great. No, I think that is, I'm sure a lot of people will uh, really be needing that and find a lot of benefit from that. So thank you so much for the time. Thanks for sharing uh, your personal stories and about your book. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll talk again here soon, but thanks again. This was so fun. Yeah, thank you so yeah, much. Totally. Cool. Well, have a good rest of your day and we'll speak soon. Bye.